Welcome to Soundprint. I'm Larry Massett. Did you ever try to jumpstart an old, old car that's been sitting for a long time? You know that nothing can really make it start except your own faith, maybe. But then you have to put up with all the other people who stand around and watch and tell you why it's not possible and why you'd better junk it for parts. Today, Dan Collison tells us the story of an attempt to jumpstart an entire town, the town of Keysville, Georgia. If you got in your car in Atlanta and drove east and south about two and a half hours, you might get to Keysville, but the odds are pretty good you drive right on through without seeing it. There's no downtown, no industry, no streetlights. Keysville doesn't even have its own water system. It's about 300 people, mostly black, and a lot of them housed here and there in trailers. If Keysville was a car, you'd have to have a lot of faith to think you could get it to run again. Of all the things I like to do, I like to cook. I think I could wake up at night. If someone would visit me, I could wake up at night and cook for them. In Keysville, Georgia, Emma Gresham is famous for her biscuits. The morning after she was elected Keysville's first mayor in almost a half century, and its first black mayor ever, she celebrated by cooking up a big pan of biscuits. I'm going to put a little sugar in there. And I guess you've noticed I'm not measuring. After cooking for so long, I just know how much to put in there. While Emma Gresham certainly knows her way around the kitchen, at age 63, she's a newcomer to politics. After retiring from a career in teaching, she moved back to her hometown from nearby Augusta. Her approach to politics is a blend of tireless persistence and faith, a recipe she hopes will lead Keysville, one of those rural southern towns that time forgot, into a new era. Have a buttery taste. And about 15 minutes I'll look at them. And they should be brown on the bottom. It'll take about another 10 minutes and they'll brown on the top. And they'll be ready to eat. My name is Emma Rhodes Gresham, the mayor of Keysville, Georgia. I have a deep love for this town. And I think it's it's very deep because of the fact I've lived here most of my life. My mother and my father lived here all of their lives. The fond memories that I had when I was a girl and the way I felt about the way people lived at that time made me know that at this time there needed to be a change. And I'm happy to be part of that change. I'm Bessie Russell, and I've lived in Keysville most of my life. And I do the, a little news column for Keysville in the True Citizen, which is the Burke County paper, weekly. I just uh, remember Miss Gresham as a little girl growing up in Keysville and, and being my little helper around my house with the children. And she was a very nice little girl growing up. She grew up to be a nice person, I think. Well, I think a lot of her. Mrs. Russell was, to me, she was pretty. And she, you know, just looking around in her house, it was the kind of house that I wished that I lived in. The Russell family moved to Keysville from Jefferson County in the 20s, and they started the lumber company, the Russell Lumber Company. The Russells uh, ended up being the most prominent white people in Keysville. Their descendants now own a lot of the land because when people were having very hard times and they owed taxes, 
they, the Russell would buy the land. The Russells have been an asset to Keysville. I think they have helped. And I will tell you this, the majority of the black people that own property, my husband sold them that property by lots. They paid for it as monthly rent without interest. He helped them. There were always been two churches for the blacks, two churches for the whites, Methodists and Baptists. And later on, the Russells started a holiness church. My husband, Reverend Oliver Russell, and his father, Reverend Q.V. Russell, founded the Kiesel Evangelistic Church in 1946. And he pastored pastor the church for all these many years until he passed away in 1983. This whole world's going to be like God wanted it to be in the first place before the fall of man and the curse of sin seemingly temporarily ruined the original plan of God. But God's going to fulfill and show us what the world will be like with a garden of Eden everywhere. And when I was set eight or nine years old, it was exciting to go to this pavilion and sit there. To the, we called it the Russell's Church. And the singing was different. You know, in a holiness church, they would be shouting and singing. And we were welcome to go. We didn't sit in the front, of course. We sat in the back. But I don't think no one thought anything about it. At that time, it was such a thing as staying in your place. No one didn't have to say it. It was a way of life. It was just the nicest, friendliest racial relationship that any community could have. As I said, I was always lived in the country, raised on the farm, and integration didn't bother me at all. We're here at Mr. Henry Key's house, the oldest resident of Keysville, Georgia. And we're about to go in and talk with Mr. Key because he has a lot of history in his head. Hello, Mr. Key. Now, Hello, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well, very well for an old man. You know, that's his nickname, Man Key. Man that's Key. my nickname. I'm known as Man Key around Keysville, but my name is Henry. Born in 1895. 1895. 1895. And I was raised right around Keysville. Mr. Key sits in a rocking chair on his front porch. Wearing a pair of blue overalls makes it seem like he might be on a work break. Mr. Key used to build roads, and he proudly points out that he helped pave most of Keysville's roads. And uh, I'm well known. Been here a long time. Mr. Key's great-grandfather, Josh Key, founded Keysville back in the mid-1800s. Josh Key was white. Henry Key is black. I'm just trying to figure out how did you come in there now? How did it change from white to black? Me? Uh, how did the family was white and then it changed to black? The son asked me why. I said, because my daddy was, got over the fence. You understand? <laughs> oh. It, it was... His child came from across the fence, yeah, I mean, the black child, to his yeah, black mistress. That's right. Around the turn of the century, Keysville was in its bloom. There were three stores, law offices, a glass factory. Then it was a gin house right, 
Right place in the right place, too. No old what, street what, what, what caused everything to just go start going downhill, downhill? Well, the first of my remembrance it was going downhill was in 1933, I think. Probably. Was that during the Depression? Well, that was long about Depression. And that went to going, Keyville went to going backwards right then. For the next half century, things stayed pretty much the same in Keysville, Georgia. The stores and factories that operated when Keysville was a bustling little town have been overrun by kudzu and cobweb. Keysville residents now have to drive the 10 miles to the town of Wrens just to eat at a restaurant, shoot a game of pool, or even buy a six-pack. And while nearby towns like Blythe and Vidette have their own central water systems, people in Keysville, including almost all the black residents, still have to haul their own water. Clinton gets up about 6.30 to, while it's cool, to start hauling the water. Open the door. Okay. He's coming in now so that he can uh, get the toilet flushed. Because if, if you, he has to pour quite a big bucket of water, a big pail of water in the toilet to get it to flush. About, I know 70% of the residents have to do this every day because they just don't have water running in their house, in their homes. On Saturday, sometimes I just walk around, and this Saturday, this little girl, Annette, Annette uh, was following me home, and she was quite dusty and dirty, and she said, uh, I want to get in your tub and take a bath. I said, don't you have a tub at your house? They have a Jim Walters home, but they don't have any water. And she said, uh, mm -mm, we don't have no water in our tub. And uh, after a while, you start saying, you know, if not me, who? You know, I need to do something. Something for Emma Gresham meant running for mayor. Keysville hadn't held elections for almost a half century since the county took over. So reactivating the town government wasn't going to be easy was a little like trying to start an old car that hadn't been driven in years. So in 1985, Emma Gresham and her supporters developed a plan to jumpstart Keysville's government. The first step was to call a town meeting during which Emma Gresham and an all-black city council were elected. Keysville's white residents, though, didn't bother to show up at that meeting. Instead, they went to court and challenged the election, arguing that certain state-mandated procedures hadn't been followed. And just a few hours after Emma Gresham and the council members were sworn in, a superior court judge in nearby Waynesboro, Albert Pickett, ruled in favor of the white residents. You've never heard talk of people praying. You talk about a group of people sad, but it made us stronger. Instead of making us weaker, every single Monday night until we were elected, we had a meeting that started with prayer and thanksgiving for every little inch of progress, every little inch of progress, this is good. And I pray that you would look down where I appear and a tender of compassion. The first person that came to our aid was uh, a nonprofit group called the Christic Institute South from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Lewis Pitts is the director of the Christic Institute South. 
Lewis Pitts was talking about the struggles we were having and we would like to help. And I said, we need help, but are you white? <laughs> I guess I'd had so many disappointments. I just felt like another white person could not see, could not empathize or nor sympathize with what we were doing. Because people were saying, these black people want power. They want to take this town over. And he said, I'm white, but I believe in justice. I said, come on to Keysville then. The first thing that we did was ride around and try to talk to some of the white folks. And we were just absolutely appalled at the aggressive nature that they demonstrated. And we were immediately perceived as some kind of outside carpetbaggers. I'm George Upton Cochran. I ran for mayor of Keysville. I lost the election to Ms. Grassman by 10 votes. We had some outsiders, agitators. I believe if the outsider would have left us alone, this would have been worked out uh, among us. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of that. The basic sort of premise that we operate under and we love to talk about it is the Frederick Douglass saying, power conceives nothing without a demand. And that demand has to come from the people. So we didn't, we aren't able, but we wouldn't want to do it this way necessarily we could, come in and be the outside lawyer saviors. Because then again, the remedy has been some lawyer that did it. Keysville was never the same after Lewis Pitts came. And on March the 5th, 1987, we went to the Capitol and we staged a very peaceful rally. We were focusing our attention on the governor because that was the clear remedy in terms of, from a legal standpoint. And I guess to put it down to its simplest terms, we conveyed that the governor bends over and puts on his pants just like everybody else in this room and let's go meet with him. Well, he refused to meet. Then, uh, Lewis Pitts and ACLU said, we're going to have to bring pressure. So that's when they brought, they prepared the suit against the governor, the secretary of state, and all of the officials, the attorneys, everything, everyone in the state of Georgia. The suit asked Governor Joe Frank Harris to reactivate Keysville's government. That action alone, a mere stroke of the governor's pen, would have allowed Keysville to have a democracy. It was a strategy devised by Christic Institute attorney Lewis Pitts, not only to put the state on the defensive, but to empower the black residents of Keysville. It was emboldened for the people to go file a lawsuit in federal court, be flanked by Reverend Joseph Lauer at SCLC, that they've taken on and can bring this lawsuit against the governor. A group of us got in a van and went to Atlanta to the SCLC office, and it was hot. I talked, Lewis Pitts talked, Dr. Lowry talked. I think it's tragic that in 1987 that we have people living uh, under conditions represented in 1857 uh, when Dred Scott's decision was issued and before the Emancipation Proclamation. And then we got on the bus and came back home. I didn't know the impact of that, but that had a great impact. That hit the newspapers the next day and on the television the next day. And the, the uh, Atlanta Constitution said Keysville must have some help. Big article. Keysville must have some help. 
Then the Attorney General, due to the heat from the citizens in the lawsuit, directed the county commissioners to call an election. The county commissioners vacillated around. They didn't know what to do. They were afraid they were going to get sued by the white folks. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. This time, the white residents challenged Keysville's boundaries. According to the original charter, which established the town back in 1890, Keysville's boundaries are a radius a half mile from an old schoolhouse. The exact location of that schoolhouse determines just who can vote and who can run for office in Keysville. But just around the turn of the century, the schoolhouse was destroyed in a storm. Some say it was a tornado. No one knows for sure, but more importantly, there are no records and no one remembers precisely where that schoolhouse once stood. No one, that is, except Mr. Key. I can remember 1900. That's the year the building got destroyed. I can remember by me following my father back forth to Keyville. And he would talk, and they would tell me about it. And I, 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 I taken it in. State and county officials used Mr. Key's testimony to establish Keysville's boundaries, the first step toward holding elections. But the white opposition, led by Joseph Upton Cochran, disputes those boundaries. They placed the old schoolhouse about 200 feet from the site Mr. Key identified, and that's an important 200 feet. Uh, well, if the boundaries had been set where we think they should be, there would have been about approximately 25 black votes eliminated. We uh, took the case to court to Judge Pickett, Superior Court, and he ruled in our favor. I'm Albert Pickett. I'm a judge of the Superior Court uh, in Georgia. The issue that was presented to this court was one of boundary lines, not one of the color of one's skin or the, uh, the predisposition of one's politics. It was simply to try to determine if, if it could be reasonably determined where the boundary lines of Keysville were located. And my ruling simply said that I could not determine where those boundaries were located. Nothing more, nothing less. The problem is not the boundary. The problem is attitudes. It's an attitude problem. And you cannot legislate attitudes. Attitudes have to be changed by the inside of a person. People have to learn to accept new, con new conditions, new ways of thinking. They have to learn to accept change. Less than 24 hours after his ruling, judge, uh, there was a judge, federal judge, uh, reversed his, just threw his decision out the window and said that the election would go. When he said that, my husband grabbed me and he hugged me and gave me the best old sloppy kiss. And everybody was hugging and I said, let's get out of here. So January the 4th, I believe it was, Ms. Gresham was elected mayor. Uh, five council people were elected. I think one white resident, uh, Mr. Poole, was, was elected. Most of us won by 10 to 12 votes more than the Cochran slate. I felt real thankful to God. Now I have a job, a big job. I said, this is a tremendous job. And uh, I knew there was a great, tremendous responsibility. I said, because I know how they fell on the wayside before. I said, I've got to have the strength to try to keep people motivated. 
and keep educating and keep letting them know that this, nothing can happen overnight. You know, nothing can happen overnight. We cannot do all of these things overnight. It takes patience. Without an operating budget, the newly elected Keysville government set up shop in an old trailer shared by a couple of community groups. The facility is really more suitable for housing rakes and shovels than the mayor's office. The trailer is propped up by cinder blocks, and a corrugated tin roof keeps the rain out in some places. When it rains real hard, we put down a, a couple of buckets because it leaks inside of there. I was trying to assess the needs the other day, and I, as best that I can, I think it needs a whole tearing down on a new building. Okay, let's go inside and we'll look around. Might be quite noisy in here, but we have a, we have a map over here that tells that we used to get our voters out to vote. And then we have another big sign that we have used on our, during our rallies. And it says, Justice for Keysville Now. And that's our marching side. You have city council meetings here. We have city council meetings here, right here at this table. We, usually our meetings start at seven and we close at eight, one hour. It's now seven o'clock. It's time for our city council meeting. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, read, uh, have the roll call, and then we will turn the meeting over into the hands of Senator English. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. The first order of business for the new government has been getting a central water system to be paid for by emergency grants. After that will come sewage, then some light industry that would bring much needed jobs to Keysville. You think you're going to stick around in Keysville? Yeah. Yes. No. You want to leave? Yeah. Where would you go? What's in Augusta that's not in Keysville? Such running water. What kind of jobs do you think there are in Keysville when you get ready to work? No. No. What would you like to do? Cut grass and pull up weeds for people. Be a truck driver. How about you? Be a nurse. Truck driver. Right now, the only thing that a young person has to look for in Keysville is a job as a nurse, a nursing attendant at the convalescent home, because that's the only place. That is the main reason that we want some type of development. My name is Dickon Alvin Lewis Sr., City Council Post 2, the City Government of Keysville, Georgia. I visualize it. I sit down right here every day since I'm retired, don't have nothing to do. I get out under the tree and look across the wooded area and visualizing this type of building, this type of factory. But we first got to have some water uh, people don't want to put up a uh, barbershop or uh, cookie factory or nothing if they ain't got no water. They got to furnish their own water, which is going to cost them an arm and a leg. They say, no, no, no. And I don't much blame them. 
But if we can find us some water, it'll be sanitary, and I believe we can get most any kind of little business in here we want to. And a little business is better than no business. <laughs> yeah. Who's gonna come down here and put up, plant, they say people are gonna come in here and put up businesses. Nobody coming down here, what's down here? James Poole is the only white member of the Keysville City Council. But Mr. Poole has stopped going to council meetings. He says it's for personal reasons. Others say Mr. Poole believes his intelligence was insulted during a meeting. If they want a government, let them move to somewhere where they got one. Let us alone out here. We wouldn't cause nobody no trouble. You don't sound too optimistic about uh, the way things I, are going. I don't here. believe that Keysville will ever get off the ground. So in 20 years, if I were to come back here in 20 years, it would be just like it is today. In 20 years, I see when you leave Highway 1, coming into Keysville on 88, from that direction, I believe that you will see a health center to serve people in the adjoining areas. And I believe you will see that in five years. We will one day have a preschool and kindergarten, maybe first grade. I think another thing that uh, will, you will see in Keysville when you enter will be at least two street lights. At least two street lights and uh, you will see lights around the town so the town will not be so dark at night. You will have a library. To me that's so important to have a library. I don't believe the type of people that live here care enough about a town or government to keep it going. Do you see that there will ever be a chance for people of Keysville to work together? No. Why is that? The, just that type of people and they will not. Black and white. I fail to look at the negative things. I fail to listen at negative things because Deep in my heart, I believe what we're doing is right. And it's going to be, I think, when some of the younger citizens come into being, they will know it's right, too, especially when they find out that it's an open door policy to come to be a part of this political process, that no one, that they can be heard, that everyone, we have a listening ear. We, we want more people to become involved. Irrespective of color, race, or creed, we just want people to become involved in this process of making Keysville a better place to live. <laughs> this thing that he's got the whole world in his hand. Okay, some people know it. Yeah, yeah, you know it. Okay, you can start it. Come. The whole world in his hands. He got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brothers. In his hands, he's got you Keysville, Georgia, Old Dreams in the New South, was produced by Dan Collison with help from the people of Keysville. In his hands, he got the whole world in his hands. He's got Keysville. In his hands, he's got Keysville. In his hands, he's got Keysville. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands.
Be sure to join us about 20 years from now when we will go back to Keysville and count the streetlights. In the meantime, if you think that you live in a town that should be on the radio, write and tell us about it. Write to Soundprint, 2216 North Charles Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21218. And if you want cassette copies of this show or any other one, add $10. <laughs> Soundprint is producer Moira Rankin, associate producer Amy Zeeler, and engineer Anna Maria De Freitas. Our executive producer is Bill Seemering. I'm Larry Massett. Soundprint is produced by WJHU, the public radio service of the Johns Hopkins University, with major grants from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for the Arts. Additional funds from the American Public Radio Program Fund. This is the American Public Radio Network.